doing our purpose journey or purpose series and we are in week four so that's just obviously past our halfway mark and uh, just to do a little bit of a recap i mean the anchor scripture of of this particular journey is ephesians 2 verse 10 which says for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do and if we just broke down that verse quite quickly it says that you know we are god's handiwork so it talks about how god has done the initial work we need to actually understand that that god has done the initial work and that and that word that says uh, we are we are handiwork if you look at the original greek word it talks about something that's done from a skillful skillful point of view so it just shows that yes god has done the work but each and every one of us have been skillfully created and i think that's something that we should obviously be aware of and then as we carry on with this particular scripture it says that so we are created in Christ Jesus what does that mean the reality is when we meet Jesus as savior and we make him lord the the change in us is so radical that it's as if we had actually had died and actually have rose again 2 Corinthians 5 uh, 2 Corinthians 5:17 actually explains it like this it says therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone and the new is here and then the last part that says that, you know that we've been prepared to do good works that has been prepared in advance another thing that we need to settle is purpose was created before you so it's not that you were born and then god decided oh oops last minute i need to give you purpose no purpose was created before you were formed in your mother's womb and that's just the anchor scripture of what um, we we basing this entire journey on then the last two weeks we looked at the two out of the five aspects of pretty much the general purposes that each and every one of us should be walking in so the first one that we looked at was my purpose is jesus christ and i love the song that we sang that said christ is enough for me and i think once again it summarizes just the point of um the first lane that we all need to operate in is jesus christ i love how in the gospel of mark it says jesus called the disciples to be with him and then he sent them out to preach so we get this beautiful picture that before you actually commission before you go out there and do the good works that you've been uh, prepared or created to do you first need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ paul says it another way where he says everything that i knew before jesus christ i consider it worthless i want to know christ so the first lane that each and every one of us or the first general lane that each and every one of us should be operating in is obviously from a place of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the second lane that we spoke about last week or Scott spoke about last week was Christ likeness. In Romans it talks about how each and every one of us ultimately needs to conform into the image of Christ. So that conforming into the image of Christ is basically what that means is us being more like Christ. That's the second lane that we spoke about last week. Then the third lane that we're going to speak about this morning is my purpose is community. My purpose is community and community we're talking about the church. And I did a little bit of Google search. By now you've probably noticed we love Google in this church. Um and I just googled just to understand what does Google define church? What is the definition of church as per Google? Just to paraphrase what Google said, Google said church is a is a building set apart or set aside for public Christian worship. That's how Google defines it. It's a building set aside 
for public Christian worship. If someone works at Google, please go change that definition. That's not right. But the point is, that's what the world sees. And unfortunately, we also sometimes, without us realizing it, we treat the church as per the definition of how Google defines the church, where we look at the church as a building. But then if you look biblically, what is the definition of the church? What is the definition of this particular community? I love what 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 says. It says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. It's very interesting. So you are God's field, you are God's building. So we are co-workers in God's service, meaning that we are called to work with God, we are called to work with God, so we allow him to work in us and we allow him to work through us. We are his field, we are his building. So the first thing that we see there is the church is actually not a building. If we have to define church, it's not a building. Everyone that's sitting here, you are the church. The people are the church. And I love how Ephesians 3 says, God's plan is through the church, the many manifold the, the manifold wisdom of God should be made uh, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So what that means is through the church, the many wisdom, the multiple wisdom, the numerous wisdom of God needs to be made known through the church. That's what Ephesians three says. So basically, through the church, people will get to know God. And what was interesting was if you look at the Greek word of the word church, it actually says called out people. That, that's what it means when you actually say church using the word or using Greek. It says called out people. So the church is God's people called out by him, belonging to him for a mission to make sure that the world gets to know about him. That's basically the definition of the church. So, but here's the reality. As much as, yes, we are saved individually, yes, each and every one of us are saved individually, we are not called to be a bunch of individual believers. We are called rather to be in a community of faith. We are not called to be individual believers by ourselves. We are called to be in a community of faith. The community of faith is what we call the church, comprising of each and every one that is sitting here, obviously not limited to this building, but each and every uh, believer of Christ. And now that we understand the definition of the church, we then need to ask the question, I'm not comparing the church to any social club, but for every social club, there's always like a reason why they meet, or there's always like that fundamental value or vision. But the question is, what is beneath the sand? If we look at the church, there has to be something, there has to be a foundation that brings each and every one of us under one community of faith. What is that foundation? And I was just thinking about just foundations. I'm not much of a builder. Uh, for those that know, it's not really my strength. Uh, the best building or foundation I've ever built was like an outside pit toilet like years back. Don't ask me why I was doing it, but I did it once. But anyway, I, was, I remember I was chatting to a couple of guys. Uh, we had visitors or delegates that came to site and they're talking about how they've been to the Burj Khalifa that's the highest building in the world it's about 800 meters high and when I when I googled the, the the foundation it talks about how the foundations are 50 meters deep so just to give you an idea the tallest building in terms of its foundations they run 50 meters deep what about the foundation of the church what do they actually look like in Matthew 16 verse uh, 13 to 18 it says 
when Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the first thing that we see there is the foundation of the church, or the church is built on a revelation of Jesus Christ. A church is built on a revelation of Jesus Christ. So if, if, if a church is not built on a revelation of Jesus Christ, the reality is that is a social gathering with a bumper sticker labeled called church. If a church is not rooted in the foundation of Jesus Christ, or if a community is not rooted in the foundation of Jesus Christ, it is not a church. I love how Peter says, you are the Messiah. What does this mean? He's acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the one that has been sent by God to save you and also to save myself. Jesus waited for Peter and the disciples to comprehend who he was before he actually introduced the concept of the church. And obviously prior to this point, what Jesus, prior to Jesus actually saying, I will build my church, the most common vocabulary or what Jesus will always say, you'd, you'd meet people, he'll heal them, and you'll say, follow me. That's what he'll say, follow me, follow me. But once they got a revelation of who he is, they were now ready to understand that obviously there's this grand plan that Jesus had where he will build his church. And if we go back and we link that to the definition that we spoke about, the church will then be used to let the world know that there is a God. So the first thing that we need to understand is the foundation of the church is built on the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have scriptures that say Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. What does that mean? I'm not much of a builder, but uh, if we do, if we just understand that that whole point of cornerstone is back in the past or when the guys were building a building, there was this cornerstone, which was like the anchor or the foundation of the house. And then everything else about that house was built around the cornerstone. So that was like the support of the house. So Jesus Christ, once again, is the foundation of the church. The revelation of Jesus is the foundation of the church. And another thing that we also need to understand, Jesus says, I will build. So who, who does the building? Is it us or is it him? Jesus Christ builds his church. And just to give an idea of why this is important for us to understand that Jesus Christ builds his church. At the end of the day, we are called to work together to accomplish the mission that you and I have been set apart to do. So I'm just going to use two examples, Old Testament and New Testament. If you look at Moses, uh, this is in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. It's interesting how this, uh, God actually commissions Moses and he tells him he needs to go to a particular place. Moses says, Lord, if you are not coming with me, I am not going there. If you do not come with me, I am not going there. What is he saying? And then Moses actually says something. He says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So Moses understood that, yes, I might be, yes, I might be the, the hands and the feet of the church. God might commission me to a place, but if his presence is not with me, 
there is no life, there is no growth. And similarly, when Jesus says, I will build my church, we see how what Jesus did was he came on earth, he had 12 guys or 12 disciples, he walked a journey with them, he discipled them, and then what he did was, before he commissioned them, he then brought the Holy Spirit. The common denominator there is, yes, there was discipling, yes, they were in the presence of Jesus, but the, the common denominator is when Jesus was on earth, his presence was with them. When he ascended, the Holy Spirit came down. Once again, his presence was with them. So when Jesus says you'll build the church, we're not, we're not saying fold your arms and then magically the church is going to be built. Obviously, it's going to use each and every one of us that's sitting here. But the common denominator is we need the presence of God to be with each and every one of us. And when we operate from a place of his presence, we get to see his church being built. Amen? And the third thing that we see from just the scripture or as we look at the, at, the, at the foundation of the church is I love how Jesus says, it's my church. I will build my church. So who does the church belong to? I mean, it's easy to say, oh, it belongs to Brent and Kate. But ultimately, the church belongs to Christ. Pastors or elders or everyone else just have the privilege to shepherd God's people back to him. That's the privilege that pastors have to shepherd, to love but ultimately the church belongs to Christ. And I love this, this example, it's not probably the best example. Uh, some of us will know who Paul is. Paul was, uh, um, was this guy that was like a Christian hunter. Um, basically, he's, he, 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 I guess for fun or for sport, he wanted to just, he, his, his whole motto was, I want to just destroy this new wave of Christianity. And uh, there's this verse I'm gonna read now in Acts 9, but just to give you a bit of context, this guy hated the, the Christians so much that he went to the council and he actually got an, author, an authorized letter to go to this one area called Damascus to go and chain up Christians, drag them back. That's who this guy is. And then in Acts 9, 3 to 6, it says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, and remember the mission is to go capture and kill Christians, it says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to his ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That was Jesus confronting Saul at that point before he was called Paul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. That is quite interesting. It's quite encouraging and actually interesting at the same time. I'll tell you why. Saul's mission is, I'm going to destroy Christians. So naturally, we would expect Jesus to say, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting those people? But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? When someone touches the church, when someone persecutes the church, that person is persecuting Jesus Christ himself. And those are the three solid foundations we need to understand. The church is built on a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself builds his church. And ultimately, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And then the question then is, it's easy maybe to talk about what then does it look like to be part of this community? But I'm going to use a different angle. I'm not going to talk about what it looks like to be part of this community of faith. I think it's something that probably most of us know. I'm going to spin it and say, then what does it look like if, yes, you're operating well in lane one. Yes, you know Jesus Christ and everything is good. 
you're operating well in lane two where you know day in day out you you conforming to the image of christ but then you haven't really committed to being part of a community of faith then the question is what does life look like when you are not part of a community well the first thing we see there is there's no there's no maturity you you don't you don't grow um i use this example and I'm not comparing ministry to work, but it's the best example I had. So I, I have a privilege to do interviews sometimes. And when you're actually going through interviews or when you're asking people questions, what you're trying to pull out is if someone says, I've got 10 years work experience, you're trying to understand, do you actually have 10 years worth of experience where you've gone through different seasons? Or do you have one year of experience repeated 10 times? That's very different. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. So similarly in the church, you have, uh, for lack of a better word, let's use seasoned or people that are mature in Christ where they've been walking a journey for 10 years. And then you've got someone else that has been walking for 10 years, but the reality is you haven't really matured. When seasons come, you know, Matthew says, you know, um, the, the storm will come at some point in time. We get to see that some people's um, remain standing and some people unfortunately are like the, the house that's built on the sand. So the point I'm trying to say is when you live or when you're not part of a or you're not connected to a community of faith, there is no maturity in your life. Also, there is no accountability. Just to give you an, an example, I'm talking about this Paul guy again. So imagine Paul meets Jesus Christ, this light shines upon him and he's completely turned. And I mean, most of the New Testament is written by Paul. So imagine, I mean, this guy who's preaching, he's preaching boldly, he's doing miracles. But it's interesting how in Galatians it says, even after preaching for a while, Paul went back to the disciples and then he actually told them, this is the gospel I've been preaching because he also needed to be held accountable. And I'm not trying to put Paul on a pedestal, but if Paul needed accountability, who are we to think we also don't need accountability? So that's also another pitfall of what happens when we actually live this uh, faith that we have without, or without or not being part of a community. And the last thing that we see there, or you know, what it looks like when you're not um, committed to the community is you, you're, you're an isolated Christian. Um, Growing up, I used to watch, and I'm not saying you should watch this, I used to watch a lot of action movies, and I think sometimes we, we, we carry that in our walk where, you know, I used to watch those Rambo movies, and I think we try and have, or we develop this Rambo-type faith where, or oh, I can do it by myself, you know, I can, I've got this, I can make it, but we are not called to live in isolation. Uh, just to give you an example, it's actually not an example I like, but it, it's something that happened. Um, you know, as a church, there are a lot of people in this church, and there was this one person that I would see from time to time, and I remember when, when a storm hit, let's, let's call it that, when a storm hit, so we didn't see this person for a while, and we assumed, because Richards Bay, a lot of people come in and leave town, we assumed, okay, this person probably left town. They were not really that connected, but it was more of a high-buy type of situation. And when, when Levi was born, we, I bumped into this person, and this person began to tell me, once again, the different storms that they had gone through. And it was quite tough just to understand, just once again, the, 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 the journey they had to go through by themselves. And I just sat there thinking, Flip, if, 
you know, if you were connected, someone would have known that you've gone through a storm. And us as a church, us as an eldership team, us as the deacon team, would have actually reached out and made sure that you don't walk that journey by yourself. And thus, that's another pitfall that we see when we are not committed. So there's no discipleship, meaning there's no maturity in Christ, there's no accountability, and you live um, an isolated life. So here's the big idea. What am I trying to say? Well, the big idea, I want to split into two points. One is settle the fact that you are the church, not the building. Settle the fact that you are the church and you're called to live in community. And then the second big idea I'm trying to get to is recommit yourself, play your part. Recommit yourself to the church. And then just lastly, just to, just to land, practically, how do you do this? Practically, how do you recommit? Uh, I've got four points, not gonna take long. And just the first point is practically, how do you recommit yourself to the church? Well, the first one, don't lose hope on the church. I think we need to say that out loud, don't lose hope. I don't know about you, but sometimes you, you get to read what's happening out there, you get to see all these fake miracles that happen, and sometimes you sit there and you're like, you know, that stunt right there has probably set the church back 100 years. And you know, if we don't guard those thoughts, if we don't guide our tongues, we end up losing hope on the church. So the first thing we need to do is we, we need to work on our minds, work on the way we think, you know, don't lose hope on the church. Yes, over the couple of years, the church has gotten it wrong. Mistakes have been made, but ultimately don't lose hope on the church. We need to be reminded that the church is the bride of Christ. And then there's a scripture that's, that actually it was more to men, but there's a scripture that says, husbands love your, your wives like Christ loved the church. Christ went all in. He went to the cross to ensure that each and every one of us are without blemish. So if Christ went all in, he still has a plan for the church. So the first thing that we need to understand is we need to get our minds right. Let's not lose hope on the church. And the second practical thing is use the different gifts to strengthen the ministries. Use the different giftings that each and every one of you have to strengthen the ministry. And I'm not going to go much into this because I think we've spoken a lot about giftings, but ultimately each and every one of you have gifts. Use those gifts to strengthen the various ministries. And the third practical step is prioritize worship. Prioritize small groups. Prioritize basically the, you know, you know as, as, as a church, as a community of believers, when we come down, when we come and actually uh, as a collective worship, as a collective we meet in uh, uh, small groups, as a collective we pray, prioritize those programs. And I'll tell you why. We have a undisciplined culture. That, that's what it is. Where we, 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 everything else is important, but the gathering of believers is not. And this is what I'm trying to say. I appreciate that you guys come on a Sunday. That's great. I love it. It's amazing. But there's a little bit more work that needs to be done. 
And what I mean by that is when we read the book of Acts, we see how the church, as in you guys, the church grows and flourishes in maturity when people meet. Yes, it's nice to meet publicly, but when people meet in homes, uh, when I say regularly, I don't mean meet every day, but I mean over and above the church, when people meet in small groups and continue to walk out the faith or to continue to worship, we see how the church grows. We see how God works in it. And I love how the Bible says, God then adds onto those home groups. The Bible doesn't say God adds in the temple or God adds the ch- uh, uh, in a building. It says in those small groups, God then adds people into that. And the point I'm trying to make is, if I look at the church, there's about 800-ish of us in this church, taking into account the three different services. Um, for everyone to be connected in a small group, we need roughly 80 connect groups. Right now, we're sitting with about 30 connect groups. If I divide 30 by 80, that's about 38%. So what that means is 62% of you guys, yes, you come here on a Sunday, which is great, but outside of a Sunday meeting, you are not connected. 62% of 800 people is 500 people are not connected. 500 people in this church are not connected. And if I link this back to what I said, if a storm hits, chances are we won't know a storm has hit. And the reality is what's going to do is that's going to create resentment because you're going to say, oh, these elders don't care. Oh, these elders don't know me. Oh, these deacons don't care. How are we supposed to know? You are not connected. So the third practical thing, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to lay this on a heavy, but I'm just trying to say it as it is, that if we are called, in terms of the third lane, if we are called to walk into, or to, to, if our purpose is community, we have a responsibility, church, to be connected. So the third practical thing is we need to prioritize, obviously, the Sunday meetings, which you guys do, and that's great, but also we need to prioritize smaller gatherings. We need to prioritize us praying as a believer of um, Christ. Amen? I know that was a hard one, but it had to be said. And then lastly, like a practical step, love the whole church. And what I mean by that is, yes, it's easy to love each other, but love the whole church. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. Love the whole church. The reality is, if Christ is the center of whatever domination is out there, that is a church. And we have a responsibility to love it. We have a responsibility to pray for those particular churches because it's not about outlook versus denomination. Ultimately, we are all the church. And I mean, as we read the Bible, you get to see how God is a God of creativity. God is a God of variety. So the different denominations, once again, shows the different types of ways that people glorify God. God. Amen. So the last practical step is love the church. And I'm, I'm saying this because I remember this is something that I used to struggle with. Um, you know, when you, when you grow up in a particular church and then you, you church hop, not that I'm condoning church hopping, but I was a bit immature then. And when you church hop, it's always interesting how the first conversations when you chat to people is, oh, what church did you go to? And you're like, this particular church. Oh, that's such a weird church. Oh, this is how we do it. We play church Olympics, which is not right. And that's the kind of thinking that we need to drop. We have a responsibility, church, to love the entire church. Because the Bible says, ultimately, Christ is the head. And Outlook Church might be maybe the arm. Uh, Presbyterian might be the foot. But ultimately, we all make up the body of Christ. Amen? And that's just ultimately what I wanted to share this morning.
that we are called or my purpose, our purpose is community and that community is the church. But we also have to understand what makes up the church because when we understand what makes up the church, we can walk into this lane obviously with full comprehension, with full understanding. Amen?